standard issue for all women. Hi, Hannah here. Welcome to another special little standard issue podcast. We have been really spoiling you this week. There is so much content from us this week that I barely got time to list it. There's a brilliant interview with A.L. Kennedy, the author, which was our Sunday Chops and which I would advise everybody listens to because she is a very funny woman. We've also got a series of interviews with men I know, men, we never usually talk to them, but we've decided since International Men's Day is looming that it might be a good opportunity to talk to men about some of the issues that are affecting them. That started on Wednesday with an interview between Armick and the lovely author Matt Haig talking about men and mental health. Also, Jen has spoken to Dr. Jacob Whittingham Vegas, head of programs at the Fight for Peace, about using boxing and martial arts to help support the development of young people in communities affected by crime and violence. Tomorrow, I will be talking to Shadow Health Secretary Jonathan Ashworth about growing up with an alcoholic parent and how society needs to change the way that it looks at alcoholism. Then there is more great things coming up. Plus, we've actually got a Sunday Chops on the way with the brilliant Dr Fern Riddell. So, loads to enjoy. But anyway, back to this podcast. Something that's going on currently around the country as we speak is the UK Jewish Film Festival. It's got events in Brighton, Glasgow, Leeds, London, Manchester and Nottingham. So it really is the UK Jewish Film Festival. I managed to grab some time with writer and filmmaker Ruth Beckman, who was born and raised in Vienna, about her brilliant film, The Wartime Waltz, a documentary that I managed to catch a preview of. It was honestly so interesting. If you sometimes find yourself wondering, how is it that America elected Donald Trump? Then how Austria elected Kurt Waldheim is going to blow your mind. Ruth will be appearing at events around the UK during the festival, one in Manchester, one in London, this weekend, alongside screenings of her film. But there is also loads and loads of other stuff to enjoy. So please get on to the Jewish Film Festival website, which is ukjewishfilm.org to find out what's on and get booking a ticket. Hi, Ruth. Thanks very much for joining us. I watched your film, The Waldheim Waltz, earlier this week. I thought it was absolutely terrific. Thank you. I think it hit the sweet spot of being something that I can remember happening when I was younger, but I didn't know enough about. And now I've come away feeling like I understand the topic completely and really quite outraged, actually, (laughs) that this happened in my lifetime. We weren't talking about it. It opens with the footage of you on the eve of Kurt Waldheim's election out on the street recording. Can I ask how you came to revisit that footage 30 years later and make a film from it? Well, it was more or less by chance that I took this uh, VHS cassette down from a shelf and uh, watched it with some young people, among them my own son in their early 20s. And of course, they had no idea who Mr. Weitam was, but they were so shocked by what they saw. I mean, uh, politician lying and anti-Semitism in the streets. And they started to ask many questions and they, they had references like uh, Nixon lying and so on. So yeah. 
I kind of got interested in, in looking deeper in this material again and also put it in an international context because I had known at the time what Austrian TV had broadcasted, but not the other uh, side, yeah. the other perspective from other countries on that. So I started to do research and finally decided to make a film about it with my own footage and a lot of archival footage from different TV archives. The brilliant thing that you do with the archive footage is it's, it's just played and there's no editorial judgment on it. These these people are basically are, are saying things that condemn themselves almost. I, I cannot believe some of the stuff that I could hear people saying. Mm. It was To me, I mean, obviously, Trump is a, a, the world's spooky man now and you kind of see mm. him everywhere. But it was very difficult not to draw comparisons between the election of Valdheim and the election of Trump, not least because the cognitive dissonance it took for the voter to say mm. I know these things about this person but I'm going to vote for them anyway yeah exactly that's one you're perfectly right I mean but I think people didn't believe it that's the problem they didn't say I know and I vote for him uh, still vote for him but they didn't they don't believe the facts there were the documents on the table that he has been a member of the uh, Nazi youth movement, and he had lied about his two years, uh, last years uh, during the war. So uh, documents were on the table, and people still didn't believe them. So this is crazy, but it happens, and it's possible, as we, as you said, with Trump did it, and Kavanaugh didn't remember anything yeah. anymore. On the other hand, it's always what's what's helping these people is finding a scapegoat. At the time, it was the World Jewish Congress, the Jews in general. Yeah. So just uh, create a hostile other, and then you can win elections. I mean, by uniting people around you. And that's what happens today with the refugees and the immigrants and all this subject of migration. It's used by the right-wing populists as Trump and our government today and maybe also in Britain, I don't know, um, to um... unite people <laughs> yeah, against a certain group of other people. I have to say uh, the other parallel I saw was with Brexit. Because it, yeah. it, it, it kind of creates, whether it was deliberate or not, I, I don't know, but there, there sort of be, sort of appeared to be a two-prong attack going on with the election of Waldheim. Mm. Like you say, it was denial, denial, denial of the facts. But also at the yeah, same time... Yeah, denial and ac- accusations At the same time, yes, the this, this, yeah. this creating this, this idea of that it, actually it didn't really matter if it was true because these yeah. people were terrible people. Mm. I was really absolutely horrified to see some of your footage of just the, the normalisation of anti-Semitic language uh, mm. on the, on the mm. streets. It was, it was staggering. That footage where you have where the man calls the other man a Jewish swine and mm. he doesn't even yeah. really appear to do it, to do it in anger. Mm. He appears to just just do it like it's a normal a normal thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I must say that um, before the Waldheim affair, anti-Semitism was there, of course, but nobody talks about the Jews openly or about other victims, real victims of the yeah. Nazis, like the 
Roma or the homosexuals and so on, because Austria as a whole considered or lied about its own past, uh, saying it was the first victim of the German Nazis. So if uh, the whole of Austria is a victim, how can one talk about the victims of the victims? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it was for the first time during this Weitem affair that it came in, it was openly discussed in an anti-Semitic way, but slowly but surely also in a good way that people became interested what really had happened. And for the first time, uh, the Jewish community came out into the open and uh, held press conferences and spoke about the, the past and the present in Austria. So in retrospect, it was a good thing, you know, ironically. Oh, that, that, leads, that leads me nicely yeah. to my next question, because there's a journalist, there's a, a, quite a long interview with a, with a journalist, it's a contempor- contemporaneous interview with a journalist. Now, you may correct my pronunciation on this. I believe he was called Hugo Portish. Yeah. He literally says that in it, that it's that Austria hasn't grabbed a hold of its past. It hasn't accepted, it hasn't apologised. What's enabled Germany to move on? is that Germany had apologised. Can I ask, bearing in mind Austria has elected another populist, do you think Austria has dealt with its past now? In this case, yes. Nobody would call, say, today in Austria that Austria was a victim. Even the extreme right doesn't say that. Actually, the extreme right never said that because they always acknowledged that they were on the side of the German Nazis and they were Nazis themselves and they lost the war. Yeah. So actually, they had a different position. But for mainstream Austria, it was very convenient to call itself the first victim because so many people believed it for such a long time and came to the beautiful mountains. And I myself, I know people who said, I will never go to Germany, but I go to Austria. So (laughs) it worked for Austria, for tourism and so on. But today, nobody would do that. We have other, I think the situation today is much worse because this extreme right today, which is part of the government, they don't want to talk about the past. They want to change our present present time and our future in a very um, frightening way. For instance, if I give you an example, yes, they advertise for jobs for policemen in extreme right-wing Nazi internet forums. So this really? is frightening. Yeah. 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 And so on. I could give you many examples. What's our, way? our Minister of Interior is from the extreme right and he is he is uh, <laughs> trying to change the society and uh, towards a more authoritarian regime let's say can we talk about kurtz you mean our chancellor kurtz yes I read an interview with in with him in the Sunday Times this weekend. And I have to say I felt like after reading an interview with him, I and it's not it wasn't the fault of the journalist, I think it's the way he is. I felt like I knew less about him after I'd read more. Um yeah. <laughs> can, can I ask what what your opinion of of his government is? Well, he is uh, he's an amazing personality because he doesn't say anything no content in his speeches, and he's everybody's darling. Yeah. And, yeah, 
and he's um, he's letting the extreme right in. He's from the Conservative Party, but he lets them do what they do, and he does what he wants to do, meaning to imply the 12-hour working days and doing politics for the rich, more or less. So this is, and and he lets the extreme right um, talk about the subjects which are important to them. And he himself is very harsh on immigration. I mean, you know that uh, Austria withdrew from the UN migration pact together with Trump and Orban. Orban's a real worry, isn't he? Yes, but Austria is very close. That's that's what they that's their role model, I think, Orban. Do you? That's yeah. that's really worrying. We have a big problem because we don't have an opposition. Our opposition is in big mess, in a big mess. So in Parliament, there's not much opposition going on. Can I ask you about the current rise of anti-Semitism around? the world. Do, do you know much about the anti-Semitism row that's happening here in the UK at the moment? A bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Frightening. It mm. is. It really has been divisive because it, it seems to have outed some people that that have very, very progressive views, but yet still can't seem to see that the things that, that are being said about Israel quite often, because the row does tend to centre around Israel, is anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. Can, can I ask your view? Well, I don't know exactly what's going on in Britain. Mm, uh, of course, one must uh, have the right, and there is a lot to criticize in Israeli politics. So I wouldn't call every critique on Israeli politics anti-Semitic. Sometimes the Jews are hysterical about that, too, I must say. But it seems uh, that there is uh, I'm very much against the BDS movement, and I think it's ridiculous and it's so stupid to not to invite academics and artists and so on from Israel, who in almost all cases are very critical on present government, so you punish the wrong people. Yeah. So I think this is really anti-Semitic in a way. Why? Why should you do that if it's not anti-Semitism or whatever. I mean, it's very bizarre. What's next for you? What projects have you got on the horizon? Oh, you know, I'm traveling the whole year with this film. Oh, really? London will be my last stop. I stop now. Yeah, I've been to, I don't know how many festivals. And I'm I'm exhausted. I'm <laughs> just exhausted. And I cannot, I have some things in my mind, but I I'm not able to to really consider one of them as my next project. Yes, time <laughs> off. That seems absolutely fair enough. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us, Ruth. Thank you. Hello, Mickey here, interrupting, but you know, with some very important information. We have added a new guest to our November the 20th International Men's Day gig and, I mean, we're proper excited. So we have got the boss, Sarah Millican, we have got Richard Herring, we have got David Morrissey, we've got Colin Jackson and now added Mr David Mitchell. It's going to be crack... Oh. Hello. <laughs> Anna's popped in to interrupt my interrupting. Lovely stuff. It's very meta here at Standard Issue. You can get tickets from Sarah's website, 
www.sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue and come see us and these splendid chaps on November the 20th at Leicester Square Theatre. Standard issue for all women.